Good afternoon, everybody. It is February 4th, 2022, and I am coming to you live in an ice storm from my home in New Jersey on National Wear Red Day, joined by Women Heart CEO, Celine Gore. Did I say it right? Okay. Um, we are going to take some Q&A at the end of the session today. You're watching live on Facebook. Um, so we encourage you to join us on that. I just want to give a shout out to our sponsors of Tales from the Heart, a podcast from the HCMA, Cytokinetics, Bristol-Myers Squibb, Invitae, and Boston Scientific. We thank you for your continued support. So, Selena, it's Wear Red Day. I'm wearing red. Yes, absolutely. So welcome to Tales from the Heart. And we've been trying to plan this for a while. And I think we actually picked the perfect day to have the conversation. Perfect day. Absolutely right. So can you tell our audience where your passion for advocacy came from and how you landed at Women Heart? Sure. So um, I lost my mom at a, at a young age. I was 18. She was 39. And it, it, was, it was early on in my college career. And um, at that point, I decided that I wanted to do what I could so that other families did not lose their mom as early as I did. And throughout my career, I've worked in global health, in HIV and AIDS, and my most recent job prior to coming to Women Heart was running a global research funding organization out of London. Um, and through that, I learned that heart disease was actually the number one killer of women um, and men in most places around the world. So when Women Heart came calling, I thought what a fantastic opportunity to make a direct difference in the lives of women. And so I moved, packed up my bags, moved from London to DC, and here I am. And advocacy is, you know, what I've learned in, in my two and a half years with Women Heart is that the, the, the strongest and most important voice in anything, all of policymaking and healthcare is the patient voice. And so thank goodness Women Heart is a patient-centered organization because that's really what drives me and inspires me every day to, to do my job. So I agree with the passion. I understand the impetus and it's not a good one you know, to, to wanna do something because of a personal loss, but it certainly lets you feel that fire every day and remind you why you do what you do. Absolutely, yes. So I, I applaud you for taking the path when others may have been easier. Give a stop and think it would be a lot easier to not have to care this deeply every day and fight this hard every day, but we're a rare breed as That's advocacy true. leaders. Yeah. So being that it's heart month and we're all doing activities to raise awareness, I kind of wanted to focus today's conversation on some of the things we know, some of the things we're combating and some of the initiatives that Women Heart, HCMA, collectively and separately, are working on to help stop unnecessary loss and suffering from heart disease. So it's also Black History Month. And I know you in, at Women Heart have launched an amazing campaign focused both on Black women and heart disease. And can you tell us a little bit about your project? Yeah, it's, I'm really excited to, to talk about it. So our campaign is called 29 Days of Heart. And the reason for that, it was launched in 2016, which was a leap year, hence 29 days. 
Um, and it really combines the celebration of Black History Month with the celebration of Heart Month. And so if you um, follow us on any social media this month, you will see us uplift the voices of Black women who have experienced heart disease. Um, and we really sort of elevate their stories, not just of their heart journeys, but of their thrivership and their desire. In fact, many would call it their calling to help other women um, to make their journeys through, through their, um, their heart ordeals a little less traumatic, a little less scary and, um, and anxiety provoking. Um, and so the social media campaign will feature stories, quotes, um, recipes and tips. Um, but also every Friday um, at 1 p.m. Eastern, I will be interviewing uh, one of our champions, one of our star volunteers about their heart journeys and about the particular challenges that they may face in getting high quality healthcare in this country and in particular as a black woman. So um, if you all tune in, you can find us on Facebook, LinkedIn or YouTube. Um, we'll be streaming live uh, just so we can make sure that we are elevating the voice of patients. I love every bit of that. And I'm hoping that Ross will be posting some of our links down below so that our viewers live here on Facebook can actually use those links. And if you're listening to us later in podcast land, not on February 4th, that you can look into the resource area of your podcast provider and there'll be some links in there as well. So I think it's critically important that we speak openly and honestly about the need to raise awareness in underserved communities. We have begun efforts to begin our health equity committee to completely target this. And health equity isn't strictly about race. It's also about gender. It's about geography. It's about financial ability to get to healthcare. So equity is exactly that, trying to be equitable with our resources. So I commend you on highlighting the Black female experience with, HCM, with heart disease. I always say HCM. I think yeah. every patient has HCM. It's the only kind of heart disease we talk about. Uh, so we're really happy to kind of look at what you're doing and maybe mirror some of it, because that's what we do in nonprofit. We say, hey, that worked for them. Let's use it for us. And we have some other areas of disparity as well that we're trying to work on. Um, so let's just get some good round numbers. The, the women heart talking point. What percentage of women have heart disease in this country? So one in three women will die of heart disease. And that, that, the reason why that's really an important figure is that 50% of women don't, don't know that. Um, don't understand that heart disease is our number one killer. It's our, our greatest risk um, for, for death. Um, what's also, I think, really challenging is that the breast cancer community, I think, have done a really good job, right, of highlighting breast cancer. And therefore, there's a perception out there that, that might be the leading cause of death for women, when in fact, it is heart disease. So we have a lot of work to do as a heart disease community to raise the awareness about just how important it is to look after your heart health, given that um, it really is the number one cause of death for, for us women. I'm going to tell you a funny little story about a, a media event that I had in October a number of years ago. 
So we know October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Yay then, they've got great awareness on that. But it's also Sudden Cardiac Arrest Awareness Month. It is. And, and I, I tried to get a little traction of think beneath the boobs because it's not just about what's on top. We got to think deeper. I, your reaction there for those who can't be watching this because of the podcast, she almost spit water out her nose. <laughs> um, uh, that's what exactly happened to the radio host that I had in the studio at Dr. Radio at, at NYU. So it was kind of funny. I'm like, well, we need, just need to think a little bit deeper. So we do think about women's health as female organs, but women's health is different than male health. Our hearts do different things. Our hormones are different. Our homostasis is different. Our body habitus is different. Everything is, everything is different in a woman. Um, you can argue better or worse, but it's different. So can you talk a little bit about what are symptoms that women with heart disease tend to have more than maybe men do? Yeah, it's a, it's a, great, it's a great question. And I think that we all can picture in our minds what I often call the clutching your chest Hollywood heart attack. Mm -hmm. uh, and it tends to be an older man. Um, and it's quite dramatic. They sort of fall over and they're, you know, to the floor. It's very rare that you actually see in, in movies or in TV women having heart attack. And part of the reason, in my mind, is that women's symptoms could look different. They don't always look different. W women can have similar, you know, uh, symptoms of pain in the chest and, and pain shooting down your, your left arm. But I have I've had many, many stories of women saying that they had extreme fatigue, not, no specific pain, just an all of a sudden a fatigue like they've never felt before. Um, I've also had women say that they had really bad nausea. Um, and one woman in, in particular, I, I can recall, um, had really bad back pain. So you, would you wouldn't necessarily associate back pain Right, with a heart attack, but that's exactly what happened. That was her primary symptom. Um, and I think that it's also important to think about um, what you know in your gut, what, what you're feeling in your gut. And, and I've had, again, a number of women who've experienced heart attacks say that they had this unique feeling of an impending doom that does, that, that sort of, you know, they never felt before and they've not felt since, but that was also different to anything else that, that has happened to them. Um, and lastly, I think what was an, another interesting symptom that I've heard is pain in the jaw. Again, not, not something you might necessarily connect directly to um, having a heart attack. So I think what's really key is for women to understand the range of symptoms that um, women experience and to you know, not discount the heart being what's causing these symptoms. So you bring up some excellent points. And within the HCM community, we try to explain very clearly that the symptoms that you're talking about, they're not just heart attack symptoms, they're something's going on in the heart. Is it heart failure? Is it an arrhythmia? Is it a blockage in the arteries? Is the ventricle itself struggling? So cardiac episodes are probably a better way to kind of paint it with a broader brush, but pain up, I, I'm, I mean, I'm a post-transplant. I'm five years and two days today post-transplant, but my HCM symptoms 
were jaw pain, a lot of jaw pain, a lot of migraines that have since gone away since I've had a transplant, which is very bizarre. Shoulder blade, between the shoulder blades in the back, the pain radiated back. And when you stop and think about the human body, the heart is as close to the back as it is to the front. So it's where the nerves tend to go. So if you're feeling that pain in your shoulders, neck, jaw, this is a conversation to have with your, your healthcare provider about I'm feeling this on a regular basis. And, and you notice, Lenny, you bring, you're bringing up a, a, an old memory that I kind of forgot about until today when my niece shared a picture for, you know, uh, Wear Red Day. Yeah. And she held up a picture of, and I almost cried, and I will try to post it in the system too. She's holding up a picture of my grandmother holding my sister, Lori, my niece's mom. And my grandmother died of heart disease, but not hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. She had a, a myocardial infarct, silent, ended up in the hospital, then going into heart failure and passing in the early 70s. And she's holding my sister and they're both wearing red. And my niece held that picture today. And oh, you got me, Stace. That was, that was, you know, grandma's here too. So there's more than one form of heart disease. And it's important to know what runs in your family. Absolutely. So that you can protect yourself. You know what, it, I'm, that's such a great point, Lisa, because I have, again, heard so many women tell me, I didn't know until I had a heart attack that my mother has heart disease or my father or my grandmother. And, and I think these conversations really need to be had. It doesn't have to be serious, you know, or sort of heavy. It can just be, let's, this is really helping our family and helping each other to share what some of the history is. I, I remember when I first, was first asked by a doctor, what is your family history? I thought, oh my goodness, I actually don't know. And that was alarming, which sent me right home and got on the phone and you know had some important conversations. But I, I think we need to do that more. Um, many years ago, which dates me a little bit here, Selena, but probably about, well, whenever David Satcher was the, the Surgeon General, he had a campaign about know your heart or know your health history. And it got some press for a little while. I think in social media days, it would have done better, um, but it was pre-social media. And whether it's cardiac disease, cancer, neuro diseases like Mark, um, Parkinson's or MS, you really need to know what's going on in your family. Absolutely. And you need to talk about it so that you get the right tests and the right care at the right time, rather than coming in too late. Back in the day when there weren't a lot of good therapies for HCM, people would say, well, why do I want to know? I can tell you in 2022, you want to know because you can get in front of certain things. Protect yourself from risk of sudden cardiac arrest. Look for signs of heart failure and treat them early so the heart doesn't struggle. You can screen your children and your family members and not have to worry about undiagnosed sudden cardiac arrest striking. We can assess risk but you have to have the conversation. Absolutely. You have to talk. And if you don't talk to your family, there are ways to share information. Yeah. And I think we need to be real that we ain't all the Brady Bunch. And there might be some problems in communications within families. Um, I've been doing the work at the HCMA for 26 years, worked with 15,000 families. Finding functional families is typical, but most of us are dysfunctionally functional. We all have our things. Right. 
That's you right. can send letters, you can point them to websites, you can send a text, you can do all kinds of things to say, hey, heart disease runs in the family, please take care of yourself. I may not talk to you much, but I just got diagnosed with something. If you want to know, I'll tell you, please don't hold it as a secret. You know what? I was just thinking that exact same thing. I, you know, we often hear about how folks struggle at the Thanksgiving dinner table, you know, to have any conversation, let alone difficult ones. Um, but I, I think that it, it's important to, to think about the, the health conversation, the, the health history conversation a little differently. Um, that you, you know, it, it's worth going through the discomfort and maybe some of the awkward conversations that need to happen because it is critical to the health of every single person in your family. Um, so that's got to be worth something. It certainly does. And when you know that there's something going on, you can find the level of care that you need. At the HCMA, we talk a lot about center of excellence care models. Yeah. We don't all need to start at a center of excellence. We can work with our community-based cardiologists to find out exactly what we're dealing with and then find the proper healthcare provider for us. If you have a high risk of coronary artery disease, there are specialty care programs focused at you and your familial risks there or your environmental risks. Or if you need advanced heart failure therapies, there are programs that can deal with that extra level of care and they have more tools in their toolbox to help you. So identifying the risk, making sure you know what the risk is. Is it yeah. for coronary artery disease? Is it for hypertrophic cardiomyopathy? Is it for long QT syndrome? And get the right care provider to get you the right answers at the highest level you can get access to, which again, circles just right on back to health equity. We need to make sure people have access geographically through telemedicine to resources that are high volume, high knowledge bases of information on less common disorders. So I, I know HCMA is hoping for more telemedicine in the future. I'm sure Women Heart is as well. Absolutely. Yeah, it is. It is. I hope we don't go back to a time when that's just not something that's offered because it really has expanded access um, for lots of folks who may not have, have good access to transportation or may not be able to pull away from family and, and caregiving uh, responsibilities at home. So I think it's really critical. It's something that we definitely are advocating for on, on our end. But I wanna go back to something that you said earlier, Lisa, about folks who um, don't wanna know. They don't wanna know. Yeah. And I, I think one of the things that's really scary about heart disease is often when we hear about heart disease, it's sudden and it's deadly. And so I think there's a perception out there that there's nothing to be done because it just, it hits you when it hits you. And I, I, I want to impress upon the, your, your listeners that there is something you can do. And it actually, even though you think it's sudden because somebody has a heart attack and they die, that, that was a slow burning disease that just showed up as a heart attack at the point, at the point that they had the heart attack. But you know, it's something that builds up over time. And the, the sooner you know where you are in that evolution of, of your heart health, as you know, going back to what you said, the better you are able to assess what kind of care you need. So, you know, I think we, we want to get away from this myth that not seeing your doctor is a badge of honor. Amen. <laughs> you are preaching to the choir. And I... 
you know, when we're dealing with the families that we're dealing with at the HCMA and we hear them say, well, I don't have any, I don't really feel bad. I don't have a lot of symptoms, so I don't need to go check in. There's also this other really scary thing in our world where high risk of cardiac arrest does not always equate to, I feel bad. You can feel for fine, but still have high risk phenotypes, family history of heart disease, short bursts of a certain type of arrhythmia called NSVT, or you could have a very thick heart that leads you at higher risk, or a lot of scarring in your heart that we can find with an MRI. So if you don't think you're at risk, I gotta tell you, I've talked to so many people who have literally said to me, I just don't feel like I'm gonna die, I'm okay. And then it happens. Yeah. And you can't turn back time. Yeah. You can't say, I wish they heard. You just have to live in the fact that they had some information and they didn't take it to heart, pun intended. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, they're not here. I'm, on the other side, I will say that there are some who have no risk factors and we still lose them, even though we didn't identify any risk factors. And HCM can have that in a very rare subset. But the more common situation for us is we can identify one or more risk factors and protect people accordingly. And we want the opportunity to do that. And we don't get the opportunity if families don't talk. I can't, yes. I, I, I want to just underscore those points because I think that that's true for HCM, but it's also true for heart disease in general, that, that there are there are rare cases where you one has a heart event with no previous risk factors, but that is rare. That that is not that that is not the rule. That's the exception. And so, for most of us, there will be risk factors that we can attack head on. Um, and so, you know, that's that that's why that conversation with that your healthcare provider is so critical. I want to jump into that health equity issue from a slightly different point of view to take a few moments, because I know within Women Heart, you have young people, young people with heart disease. So it's another aspect of health equity that we associate heart disease with older people. I was diagnosed with HCM at 12, my niece at eight, my daughter at 10. These are young people So if you are a young person and you are experiencing symptoms, they need to be taken seriously. That's right. I have a cautionary tale story um, where we had a young man in his 20s present to an emergency room with symptoms. They let him go, said, we don't see anything. Four months later or three months later, he ends up in another emergency room. They say, oh, we think we see a little HCM here. And that cascaded to urgent evaluation for transplant, air air flighting him to a high volume center, and he didn't make it. There There were the notices, but he was a young guy and he looked good. Heart disease does not get worn on the outside. We don't have to look sick or feeble or overweight. This was a thin fit guy who happened to have a genetic heart disease that everybody kind of looked past because he looked okay. It's really important if somebody tells you something's wrong with your heart to get to the highest level of care possible as quickly as possible. We don't want to lose young people. Um, We don't want to lose anybody, but young people are affected too. And I think young people have a really big challenge, right? Because not only 
are they second guessing themselves? Because I couldn't possibly have anything wrong with my heart. I'm 20 or whatever age. Um, but then that's reinforced in the healthcare system. And so I, I think what, what's a really critical message here is if you know something's wrong, get a second opinion, you know, move on from that, from that doctor that is discounting your symptoms. Um, we've had a number of stories of, of really delayed diagnosis. Um, somebody who was diagnosed eventually with heart failure after two years of going back and forth into the healthcare system with symptoms. So, you know, I think we, you, you want to trust what you know about your body. You're going to know your body best. Um, and if you know that something isn't right, keep hounding your healthcare provider. And if you're not, if, if you don't feel that your healthcare provider is listening to you, then do your best to find another one. It's that simple. Uh, let, let's go into that little topic for a second. Firing your doctor, it's a thing. Thing. And it's Absolutely. okay. Yes. If you're not being heard, even if it's with a specialist and you, you're talking different languages, you're Mars and Venus, yep. find somebody you can communicate with. There are options. Um, you should never feel uncomfortable having a conversation about what your goals of healthcare are. Just because a doctor says, I think you should do X, you can have a conversation. Well, I'd like to do Y. Can I do Y minus X and that's okay? You can have these dialogues. In HCM guidelines that were just published last year, we talk about shared decision-making. And when you get right down to it, everything in life is shared decision-making, isn't it? Absolutely. What are my risks? What are my benefits? Do I want to do that? Mm -hmm. Do I not? And it's okay to say, I don't think we're a match. It's kind of like breaking up with somebody, right? Okay. Yeah. We could be friends, but you know, I don't want you in charge of my health anymore. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You don't owe your doctor anything. It's in fact, what you do, who do you do owe something to is yourself, right? You owe yourself what you, all that you can do to find the healthcare providers that will provide you with the care that you need. Um, and, and so it, it's, you know, it's something that really is one important feature of taking, taking charge of your health and taking control of, of uh, the kind of quality of care that you get. So Selena, we are working on a little project together that hasn't quite been launched yet, but I think we can tease it a little bit here today. So over the next year, HCMA and Women Heart are going to be working on a number of different initiatives. Yay, love to have partners. And one of them is helping us raise awareness about our HCM Act, which will assist in identifying young families and children who have heart risks, um, not specifically HCM, it can be anything. So we are going to be engaging with Women Heart Advocates and HCMA Advocates and other partners to try to change state level legislation so that we're asking in a well child examination about cardiovascular risk factors in a family so we can get those families to care. So Selena, what do you, what do you think about this initiative and- I, I'm so excited. I mean, not just because we get to work with you, with you and your great team, but also because I've been wanting Women Heart to really delve more deeply into gen the generational aspect of heart disease. Um, you know, heart disease, as we've just talked about, 
um, is, is in part due to genetics, but it's also in part due to your environment and your familial environment, what happens in the home. Um, and so if we can in, sort of inject the conversation about heart health into family conversations, multi-generational family conversations, then I think we can do a lot to change the trajectory of, of heart health for, for a lot of families, just like you said, Lisa. So you know, I'm, I'm really excited that we get to embark on this journey together because um, I've, I've been you know, bugging my team about when and where can we get this generational conversation going. And here we are. So um, thank you and thank you to your team for um, getting, getting us sort of started in that way. We are happy to be on, on the team with you and happy to start getting everybody activate this network. So you can go right to the HCMA website right now. You can click on our three clicks to save a life campaign. You can share it on your social media feed and you literally go to our software package that populates with your own story that gets all of the information to your elected officials based on zip code. So all you have to do is click in, tell your personal story. You can even add a video so that they can see what heart disease looks like and what families with heart disease look like. And you can share your story with your, your lawmakers. And hopefully we can get a little traction and get this common sense legislation that is bipartisan. Everybody has a heart. That I am 100% sure of. I'm 100% sure whether they're all functioning as well as we'd like, that's a whole other story. So we need to get this into their hands so that they can take the, the next steps that they need to do as legislators to help protect us. Um, so we've got that. Um, who do we have? Ask Lindy. Um, any suggestions about finding a PC or cardiologist in a rural area? You know what? I mean, let's go back to telehealth. I mean, I think that, you know, th this is, this is the power of telehealth is that I know for, for folks in the rural area and talk about, talk about a disparity and talk about a diversity, getting into the rural parts of this country is really an important feature of thinking about improving health equity. Um, and so I think part of my answer is look for providers in the, the closest big city and a number of those providers will have initiatives to reach into the rural communities. Um, that, that I've seen in, in a number of, of areas around the country. I would agree with you on that, that, that telemedicine is an option. I would go, in terms of PCP care and general cardiology care, I would look at your next big city, the biggest hospital system in that city, and they will tend to have outreach efforts, whether they be telemed or they send somebody once a month to a particular region. Um, we have programs in Iowa that do outreach to South Dakota, for example. Um, I will say one of the areas that I'd like to see some better work in, and I haven't found it yet, is in the Native American population on, on, um, on their properties and are there on their land. There is just this real chasm of divide. And we have a number of HCM patients living in those communities, and it's really hard to get them off of the reservation and onto care. And it's, it's an area of health equity that I think is woefully late to come to the table in the US. And I know some people have focused a lot of time and attention and great work on it, but in cardiac care, I think we need to do a little bit better for them. 
I, I think we need to do a lot bit better for them. I, we, we have um, one of our star patient advocates, um, Brandy is from a community in California and her experience will, will I think just highlight for everybody what the, the glaring gaps are um, and the disparities are in the quality of care for, for the, our um, Native American community. I actually met her at one of your meetings before my transplant. Fantastic. And we, we sat next to each other and uh, I think she's amazing, yeah. amazing. And she was one of the first ones to like make me take a look and say, what am I doing in HCM in that community? And I went, oh, not enough. So yes. we have so much work to do to make sure the numbers match. And I'm gonna do, a, it's 2022, I'm gonna give a highlight number here, people. And I'm hoping that when I come back next year, these, these numbers start to change. Right now, about 85% of all patients housed in hypertrophic cardiomyopathy association recognized center of excellence care are Caucasians. And that is not who we are as Americans. We are 60% Caucasian. So we're missing so many others that need to get to high level care. And we need to spread the message far and wide that HCM is in every community. It's autosomal dominant genetic disorder for the most part. We know we don't know all of it yet, but we know that every community is affected. Black, white, Asian, Islander, Native American, whatever your ethnic background is, whatever your gender, your gender identity, you have a chance of having hypertrophic cardiomyopathy at a rate of one in 200. That's kind of mind boggling. Right now, HCMA knows that there's about 150,000 people in care for hypertrophic cardiomyopathy throughout the United States. That means there's about 700,000 people with undiagnosed HCM that we are able to identify through imaging, through genetics, or partnership thereof. If you come from a family with HCM, there's a much higher likelihood that you will find it somewhere else in the family as well. Yeah. So we need to break, break through these ceilings of lack of knowledge and we need to change laws and we need to improve medical education through such things as the HCM Academy that'll go out into the community and teach and through initiatives we're going to be doing we are going to be doing what we said yesterday by the way Selena this is confirmation that they're on board so we're going to submit to HSFA for a session all on HCM and we're going to start talking about it deeper and trying to keep a health equity message throughout. Absolutely. Critically important. For that. Selena, what else does Women Heart have coming up in the next month and year? Yeah. Um, so we have a, um, we're doing a lobby day um, where we are going to be bringing our advocates together for a virtual lobby day um, to make sure that Lawmakers in Washington, D.C. are aware of all the things that all the, the policy potentials in policymaking that can improve out outcomes for women with heart disease. Um, so we're looking forward to that. Um, and then we have further down the line, our big event is our um, at gala, um, our, our Wanger Awards, where we'll be celebrating all the wonderful contributions that folks have made across this country this last year. Uh, to improve the lives of women with heart disease. So we're, we're very much looking forward to that. And that's in May. I might try to sneak down and join you for that Me? one because that sounds like a lot of fun. Absolutely. You are invited. You don't have to sneak. Come through the okay. front. 
Well, I am going to get off of this webinar, um, not because I don't think we can talk all afternoon on this, but I have to prep because Monday yours truly is going to be doing a media tour. So I might show up on a TV station near you. We'll let you know we're all going to be aired um, either live or over the next couple of weeks. And I got to go do my prep for that meeting right now, which is a little exciting. So we're going to get that done. Um, Selena, I cannot thank you enough for joining me today. I'm really happy that HCMA and Women Heart are working together on some great initiatives. You have an amazing team. I've always been in awe of what you guys have done since I met Nancy Loving back in the day. And wow. where we've been. Yeah. Yeah. So we're all doing great work. I thank you for joining and I'm looking forward to the partnership. And thanks for being on Tales from the Heart. Thank you so much, Lisa. Have you enjoyed this episode of Tales from the Heart? We hope so. Please visit us at 4hcm.org, become a member, become a donor, become a volunteer. Great news, everybody. HCM Academy is now available online. What is it? It includes online sessions, learning about hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, patient stories about HCM and their management, and an opportunity to join online live with an HCM specialist to go over the slides, ask questions, and dig deeper into your understanding and knowledge of HCM. All CME courses are free, and you can find them at 4hcm.org or at thehcmacademy.com. The Big Hearted Warrior Tour continues. For the latest dates, please check 4hcm.org. And thanks to our sponsors, Bristol-Myers Squibb, Cytokinetics, Invitae, and Boston Scientific. Did you know discussion groups are available at 4hcm.org? Monday through Friday, almost every day you can find a discussion group. Whether you're interested in learning more about ICDs, pre-myectomy, screening your family, there's a discussion group for you. Even if you just want to learn how to balance your mental health, we have that too. So please join us for one of our live discussion groups, moderated by a peer volunteer, and you can sign up in advance at 4hcm.org. Just check the calendar for events. Please contact the Hypertrophic Cardiomyopathy Association at 4hcm.org or by calling our office at 973-983-7429. You can contact the HCMA by email at support at 4hcm.org. Tales from the Heart, a podcast from the HCMA, is made possible through sponsorship from Boston Scientific, Cytokinetics, Tanaya, Invitae, and Boston Scientific. 